0: Love that song, based off Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives me of all my sins and who heals me of all my iniquity. Peace be with you. Always a joy to be with you to uh, worship the Lord, and I pray uh, that you are doing well this evening. We are uh, celebrating tomorrow as a nation the... uh, life and birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., who the Lord used in wonderful ways to prick the conscience of America and remind America that all people are created in the image of God and have equal value. He stood for equity. He stood for justice. His message was one of love and, and servanthood. And uh, I just want to encourage you to uh, take time to remember uh, Martin Luther King and his sacrifice and how the Lord used him tomorrow, Uh, but I also want to encourage you to remember that uh, it is the church's chief duty to be ambassadors of reconciliation, uh, to uh, connect uh, people who don't know Jesus to Jesus, but also to remind the world of the uh, unity that we have as one body in Christ and the call uh, to be a church, to be a people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So I uh, just want to throw that out there. Uh, today, we're going to start uh, the third. We're going to do the third part of our series, First Things First. Uh, we will continue to, uh, uh, to, to the book of Acts start next week. But uh, today, we want to do part three. In part one, we looked at the importance of having our head up, living with your head up. And we talked about the importance of one vision, focusing on heavenly things and not earthly things, on eternal things, and not temporary things or temporal things. In the second sermon, we talked about what it means in 2017 to live with our palms down. And by palms down, we meant to reject a life of anxiety and worry based on Matthew chapter 6 and to step into a life of of peace and trust in the Lord. And we uh, looked at our call to worship one master, and our call to live with one purpose, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. Well, today we want to deal with the matter of the heart. Uh, We want to look at wholehearted devotion, and we want to see the importance of making sure that we don't have a divided heart when worshiping the Lord. So if you can stand to your feet as we go into God's word, we're going to go into the Old Testament. We're not in Matthew 6 anymore. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, We know that the Sermon on the Mount was based on and largely built on uh, what the Bible said in the Old Testament. Jesus was taking the heart of God and just showing how it related to people then and to people now. But we're going to go back to the Old Testament today. We're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 25. And we're going to start a reading at verse 1. And the precious word of God reads, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Adolden, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. Thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. And I pray, Father God, that we would not take that for granted. I pray that you would arrest our minds, our attention, and allow it to be focused on you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a word that we desperately need. May your Holy Spirit, Father God, work in us. And for those who don't know you, I pray that a seed will be planted or watered today so they would draw near to Jesus. In Christ's name, we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. There was a $20 bill that did a lot of good. This $20 bill was used to help a college student Uh, buy a book for school. It was used to help a homeless man to receive a hot meal. The $20 bill was even used in a local church to help them to reach their mission. But when the $20 bill was handed in at a local bank, it was inspected by a teller, and the teller said that the $20 bill was counterfeit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be the story of my life, the story of my Christian life. I don't want to live a life having people say that I did a lot of good. But when judgment day comes and I stand before God, he says, Jamal, your faith was counterfeit. You didn't finish well. The Christian life is a life of faith. And true Christian faith is a life that finishes The Bible says that the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to he or she who endures to the end. See, the Christian race and winning the Christian race does not belong to the person who finishes first. It belongs to the person who just finishes. And I don't know about you, but I want a faith that finishes, that finishes well and that finishes strong. A faith that is spiritually flourishing. And in today's text, we meet a young man by the name of uh, King Amaziah, and he is the king of Judah. At this point in Israel's history, we see that the kingdom is divided between Ephraim and Judah, between Israel and Judah, and Amaziah is the king of Judah. And what we will see when we read the book of Kings and Chronicles is that anytime the author Uh, starts off talking about a king. He normally summarizes his life within the first three or four verses. He gives a summary so that the reader can know how this king's life and story is going to unfold. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we read about a man named Joash. Joash is actually Amaziah's father. And the text reads, it says, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehodotah, the priest. So we see that Joash's life is summed up in that verse, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord until the priest died. When this priest died, if you read chapter 24, we see that Joash loses focus and he's no longer doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Well, the same is true with today's text. Today's text we read in verse 2 about Amaziah and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. And here's the main point of the text is we're talking about first things first. Here's what I want you to take away. Half-hearted spiritual devotion ends with spiritual failure. Half-hearted spiritual devotion, it leads To spiritual failure. And if I was to say that in a positive way, I'll say this, wholehearted spiritual devotion leads to spiritual flourishing. And today's text is going to call us and and warn us of how not to finish well by showing us a man whose heart was divided. And we'll see in three scenes in the story that Amaziah is going to start off strong for the Lord, but at each phase of his life, he is going to begin to backtrap away from the Lord, So at the very end of the story, it's a tragedy that he has walked away from the Lord. See, my prayer is, is that you and I, that we would have a year that honors the Lord, a year in which we're seeking first his kingdom, and that we will start the year strong and finish the year strong. But more so than that, my prayer is, is that 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 will be true of our lives as Christians, that we will start strong and finish well, to hear the words, good and faithful servant, well done. So the first movement we see in Amaziah's life is that of faithful obedience. And this is a call for us to exercise faithful obedience in our own life. In verse three, we read, after the kingdom was firmly in his control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. Yet he did not put their children to death, but acted in accordance with what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, where the, the Lord commanded, parents shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Now, this is huge, and this is a good thing. We see that Amaziah is going to start off strong. His father, Joash, was assassinated by some men because he went array. And it's an expectation for the king of Judah, for Amaziah. There's a pressure that is on him now to not only pay back the man who killed his father, but to take out their entire lineage. In fact, if Amaziah does not respond by getting vengeance, if he does not respond by killing uh, the man who killed his father, he will be seen as weak. He will be seen as soft. He will be seen as a person who is incapable. He may even be laughed at. But what we read in this text is that Amaziah uh, does not allow what people think about him to define him. As the proverb says, the fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. And he's not going to fall into that, sna- to that trap. In fact, it is probable that he then reaches out to a priest and a priest comes to him and tells him what the law of the Lord says. In the law of Moses, it reads that a children should not be put to death because of their father's sin. And Amaziah reads this in the law and he says, it is not my business to get revenge in this way. Yes, I will kill and punish those who killed my father, but I will not take out their lineage. In fact, Amaziah is leaning on the word of God, and it's beautiful. It reminds me of Psalm 119, verse 97 through 104, which says, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemy, for they are my constant guide. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. This was King Amaziah choosing to be seen as weak before the men of this world, but he was strong in the sight of the Lord. He rejected peer pressure and he chose to fear God rather than man. See, obeying God's word, won't always make you popular with those outside of the faith. And I'll be honest with you, obeying God's word won't always make you popular with those inside the faith, but we must obey God's word. It is better to say no to a person who is dating, who you are dating, who knows that it is your Christian responsibility to present your body as a living temple, to not give into sexual temptation. It is wise to say no to them then no to God. We must stand on God's word. It is better to say no to your college friend who's coming in town, who knows that you have become a Christian, but who's coming in town to have a good time. And you know that going out with them is going to bring up old issues and old sin because all they want to do is come in and wine and dine, lay and play, and huff and puff. It is better to say no to them and yes to God it is better to say no to your business partner who is trying to encourage you to, to cheat a little bit, to not use the best product, but to charge people as if you're still using the top product. It is better to say no to them and yes to God because we know that we serve a God who is a God of equity and justice and righteousness, a God who calls us to live with integrity. See, God calls us to faithful obedience. He calls us to love and to cling to his word and to obey his word. And obeying his word, we don't obey his word because God is a a killjoy. And we don't obey his word in order to win God's favor. No, we as Christians, we have already received God's favor when we repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus. We obey God's word because we love him and because we know that he knows what's best for us. He's smarter than us. He's got it figured out. And when he tells us to refrain from something or to do something, it is because he is out for his glory and our greatest good. Jerry Bridges writes it this way. He says, I realize anew that just as we must learn to obey God one choice at a time, we must also learn to trust God one circumstance at a time. Trusting God is not a matter of my feelings, but of my will. I never feel like trusting God when adversity strikes, but I can choose to do so even when I don't feel like it. The act of the will, though, must be based on belief, and belief must be based on truth. I love that quote. We obey the Lord, and we must learn to obey the Lord one circumstance at a time, just like Amaziah, he had to make a decision though he knew it was going to cause drama and adversity and people to look him at a certain way, he made the decision to be obedient to God's word. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I talk to people who are, of course, struggling. Perhaps a person is struggling with anger and uh, they got uh, mad at their kids and punched a hole in the wall. Or perhaps someone is struggling and entangled in, in pornography. And oftentimes I hear people say, you know, uh, especially right after they commit a sin or, or do something that they know the Lord is not pleased with, they'll say things like, you know, I promise I will never do that again. And oftentimes I tell them, um, that's not the thing you want to say or the attitude you want to have. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. That's a prayer that we should be praying daily rather than making a big declaration that we'll never do something again, that we'll, we promise to obey the Lord. We should say, Today, I am not going to to look at pornography. Today, I am going to make the decision to not allow my, my anger to be sinful. Today, I am going to make sure I'm honest in all of my business dealing. And that's what we see. Obedience leads to freedom and freedom leads to joy. Joy is the highway. Obedience is the highway to true joy. And that's what the Lord calls us to pursue. The second movement that we see in this text is grudging obedience. And Messiah goes from faithful obedience to grudging obedience, meaning that he's going to obey in this scene, but he's going to do so with an attitude. We'll pick up in verse five. And Messiah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to their families to commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He then mustered those 20 years old, or more, and found that there were 300,000 men fit for military service, able to handle the spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for 100 talents of silver. Verse 7, but a man of God came to him and said, your majesty, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not, not with any of the people of Ephraim, even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy for God has the power to help or to overthrow. So we see here that Amaziah wants to go to war against the Edomites. So I love how this pastor says, so he mustered up men to go fight. And the text says that he mustered up 300,000 men. And we hear that and we may say, that's a great number. But if we've been following the biblical narrative up to this point, we know for Israel, that's not a big number. Israel has went to war with many more men than that. He had to muster these men up. He had to encourage them to go out and to fight. And seeing that he's lacking men to beat the Edomites, he then hires 100,000 mercenaries from Israel. He says, I don't think that we can win on our own, so we're going to hire these men to fight But we see that God is not pleased with this. And the Lord speaks to a prophet to let Amaziah know that this is wrong. Now, why is God not pleased? Two reasons. Number one is because Amaziah is trusting in his army rather than in the Lord. God has delivered Israel before. And he's done so without Israel having to lift up a sword. When God is for Israel, when God is for Judah, it doesn't matter how many people they're fighting, God is going to make a way. But Amaziah looks at this number and he gets pragmatic. He begins to work it out without seeking the Lord. In fact, he commits the sin of presumption. He presumes that God is for him and that all he has to do is make the right decision on his own. And he goes out and he makes an alliance with Israel. And the reason that this is a problem is is because of this. Israel is not seeking the Lord. In fact, at this time, Israel is living buck wild. They are worshiping many false gods. They are not worshiping Yahweh. God's favor is not on him. God has an attitude with Israel. And now Judah Amaziah, rather than seek the Lord, rather than call out to him and say, Lord, do you want us to go up against him? Lord, will you give us victory? He works in a way that shows he has an ego. He works in a way that edges God out and he makes a decision without seeking the Lord. And the reason that this alliance is troublesome is because Amaziah is unequally yoked. Judah is unequally yoked with Israel. They enter into a relationship that is not pleasing to the Lord. And why does Amaziah do this? possibly because of fear, afraid that they wouldn't win without this alliance, probably because he is uh, convinced that, that they, if they beat the Edomites, Edomites will gain great spoil and he will become wealthier. But we see the Lord's not pleased. And I just want to talk real quick to my singles for a second. Um, and, and specifically, I want to talk to my, my single ladies in the house, all my single ladies. All right. Because over the the last 10 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen singles get frustrated and even start to despair because they have not met the person uh, that they want to meet or get married. And I've seen time and time again, specifically single women, compromise on their faith by linking up with a man who does not know Jesus. And he comes and she sees him and he's talking a good game. I mean, he's spitting a good game. Comes up to her and says, hey, you know, I wish, I wish I was a tear in your eye. I'll be born in your eye, live on your cheek and die on your lip. And you say, oh, that's just so sweet. And you just get all excited and he's smelling good and he's got a job, he's even got a car. He's out his mama's house and you get all excited And you just forget that the word of God says, do not be unequally yoked. That a Christian should not enter into an intimate relationship, into marriage with a person who is not a Christian. You begin to compromise and begin to tell yourself that maybe I can, maybe I can save them. We can't save anybody. Maybe Maybe the Lord sent me into his life to to date him so that he can come to faith. And sure, I've seen that work out before a few times. But way, way more times I've seen it not work out. And I've seen a person waste three to five years of their life in a relationship with a person who doesn't get them. And why will he not get you? Because the most important part of your life is Jesus Christ. The thing that drives you when you wake up in the morning. The person that you pray to when, before you lay your head down on a pillow at night is Jesus. And now you can't share the most important part of your life with a man whom you're, you're dedicated to for the rest of your life. and That's not what you want. Amaziah here makes this alliance simply because he's not trusting in the Lord. We pick up in verse 9. It says, Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? So the man of God says, listen, man, you need to drop them like a bad habit. Let them go. (laughs) They don't mean you any good. And Amaziah now is going to obey, but he's going to do so with an attitude. He brings up the point, wait a minute, prophet. You don't understand. I paid a lot of money for these mercenaries. I paid a lot of cash to have them fight for us. See, this is the thing about obedience. This is the thing I want you to remember. He's obeying with an attitude. And when God calls us to obedience, he doesn't call us to obey with an attitude. He calls us to trust him and to believe that he knows what's best, that we're not smarter than him. For our kids, my, my wife and I, we try to keep our, teach our kids a little mantra. Now, we've got f- five under six, so I don't think that they've learned it yet. <laughs> uh, but it's obey the right way, right away, and all the way. Obey right away, the right way, and all All the way. Obey right away. We teach them delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Obey the right way. Don't have an attitude and stomp your feet as you go up the stairs and mumble under your breath. Obey the right way. Obey all the way. Obedience is not partial, it's full. Well, we see here that Amaziah has an attitude. He talks back to the prophet. But listen to how the prophet responds. This is an amazing response. The Lord can give you much more than that. He says, the Lord can give you much more than what you think you're about to lose. And I just want to encourage someone here today who is compromising on your faith. You started out on fire for the Lord. You started out ready, and then your your wish lists begin to decay. Your your, your dreams for your life, what you had planned out, is not quite working out the way that you think it is. So now you feel like you have to make something happen. I want you to hear these words. The Lord can give you much more than the thing that you believe will make you or define you. C.S. Lewis profoundly writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're a half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And Amaziah was far too easily pleased. But after a pep talk from the prophet, he decides to obey, he releases these men. And then we read in verse 10, so Amaziah dismissed the troops who had come to him from Ephraim and sent them home. They were furious with Judah and left for home in a great rage. Verse 13, meanwhile, the troops that Amaziah had sent back and had not allowed to take part of the war raided towns belonging to Judah from Samaria to Beth Horan. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. So Amaziah lets these cruel men go. But remember, he did not seek the Lord, committed the sin of presumption. That's why David prays in Psalm 19, Lord, keep me from the sin of presumption. Keep me from living a prayerless life, from not seeking your face. Well, he commits this sin, and we see there's grave consequences. While they're away fighting the Edomites, these mercenaries say, you know what? 300,000 men are away from Judah. Let's go to Judah. Let's take their women and children hostage. Let's take their gold and their silver for ourselves. Let's plunder them for payback to get the spoils that we would have got at war. See, the Bible teaches us that we are adopted into God's family. And when we trust in Jesus, we are declared righteous. God loves us. Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness. Our sin becomes, he takes upon his shoulder. He becomes sin for us. The Bible teaches that God is not in heaven angry at us, but when he looks at us, he sees the sacrifice of his son and he is well pleased with us. The Bible also teaches that we're going to fall short even uh, uh, post-salvation of God's standard. And that a righteous man, though he fails seven times, um, he gets back up again. See, spiritual failure is not falling short. We all sin. We all fall short every single day. But we also want have to live in this tension. That while all those things is true, that our sin does have consequences that there are times in which we will have to reap what we have sown. And because of one man's sin, King Amaziah, because of his presumption, because of his half-heartedness, three, uh, 100,000 people died. Some kids lost a mother or a father. Some parents had their children taken captive. Many people had their homes plundered. So we see this movement. The first movement is faithful obedience. Amaziah starts out strong, but he doesn't last because his heart is not fully devoted to the Lord. The second movement is grudging obedience. He obeys, but he obeys with an attitude, and he delays in his obedience, which causes more problems. The last movement of this text we're going to see is open rebellion. Open rebellion. Look at the text. The Bible says, When Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down to them, and burned sacrifices to them. Now we see that Amaziah is doing what most pagan gods, pagan kings did. They would go into a city, they would go into a nation, they'll defeat that nation, They'll plunder it. Then they would take all the gods of that nation and add them on to their gods, believing that adding these gods on is gonna make them stronger, is gonna make them better. That's not what a a godly king does. In 1 Chronicles chapter 14, we see that David defeats a nation. And what does he do? He gathers all of their gods together and he burns them. He burns them to remind Israel that salvation is found in Yahweh and Yahweh alone, that there is only one true God. But Amaziah doesn't do this. And the prophet calls him out. He says, why do you consult this people's gods, which could not save their own people from your hand? And why does he do this? Because sin binds, it blinds, and then it grinds. Sin will take control of us and make us stupid. And we see Amaziah's folly here. In fact, listen to how, how much foolish he's, he's come and, and how far he's come. Look at the slippery slope that he was on and where it led some. Then he says this, have we appointed you an advisor to the king? He's talking to the prophet. Stop, why be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. So Amaziah, who once was hungry for the word of God, who once was seeking out a priest to see what was best, who once was willing to make a sacrifice and probably be shamed before men because of the decision he makes. Now a prophet is calling him out saying, Amaziah, what you have done does not make sense. It doesn't add up. God is not for you because of the way you're behaving. And Amaziah, the king says, stop. I'm a grown man. Who made you my advisor? When did we hire you and bring you on board? But we see the progression of sin. We see it takes us from one degree lower. It takes us farther away from, from the fire of God to the, to the point that our hearts become cold and the word that we once loved and lived by. A testimony that we once shared about how God, though we were dead in sin, made us alive in Christ. Now we start looking at God's word as irrelevant. We start looking at God's word as archaic. We begin to pick and choose out of God's word what we want to hear. And anyone who speaks truth into our lives, we do away with or we justify or we do this kind of hermeneutical uh, gymnastics in order to, to make the Bible say what we want it to say. Half hearted. Spiritual devotion leads to spiritual failure. And as a pastor, and many of our pastors here can attestify, and perhaps you can attestify, perhaps you've tried to talk to someone who you see going down a wrong road. Or perhaps that's you tonight. Tonight, you are here and your heart is cold. You are justifying your lifestyle or, or sin that is in your life. And, and you're starting to wonder, is it worth it? And you're starting to look back into the world. Today, I, I want to warn you that that's not the way to go, to come home. You know, as pastors, sometimes it feels like we are in the middle of a desert, on a road. Holding up signs, warning people to slow down, to make a right turn. Don't keep straight because if you keep straight, there's a cliff and you're going to fall off that cliff. Man, don't leave your wife. Don't leave your husband for him or her. The grass looks greener on the other side because you're not fertilizing it, because you're not taking care of your own grass. Man, don't go down this road. He he can't love you the way that you should be loved in Christ because he does not know Christ. Don't abandon the faith. Don't abandon your people. Don't listen to that nonsense that's that's all conspiracy theory. The Bible is true. And time after time, sadly, we hear Zoom. Uh. Boom. Zoom. Zoom. the Lord gives us opportunities to repent. He gives us opportunities to to start over afresh because we have a mediator named Jesus. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to run to Jesus, to run to community, to get help, to to not be like Amaziah, to not say, shut up, to stop believing that you are smarter than God and to believe that God has a plan. That if you, trust in Jesus, if you set your affections on the things that are above, that he will fill you, satisfy you like no one else and nothing else can satisfy you. Amaziah doesn't. He goes past his warning sign. And as I said before, sin, it binds us, it blinds us, and then it grinds on. And we see that's what happens in this text. In verse 27, this story ends in a very tragic way. It says, from the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. What a tragic end to Amaziah. What a tragic conclusion that he, he dies in isolation and he's assassinated by his own people because he led them astray and because they ended up losing many. You know what happened after this? Uh, 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 After he talks to the prophet, he goes back and he gets this bright idea to, to fight against Israel. And he declares war against Israel. And Israel's king tried to talk him out of it. He even wrote him a little poem. Go home and read it. And he warned him. He says, listen, man, you don't want none of this. Excuse my English you don't want any of this. We will outnumber you and we will crush you. And Amaziah listened to ungodly counsel and he ended up going into battle. They ended up being crushed. He ended up being taken away as a prisoner of war and eventually assassinated by his own people. So what, what do we do with this as believers? We want to finish well. Well, we wholeheartedly devote ourselves to the Lord. That's exactly what John 15, 5 says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I am them, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I've got three big things I want you to take away. And if you're following with me in your bulletin, uh, you can write it down. Here's the first, abide. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, abide. Abide. Wholehearted devotion looks like abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word. Here's number two. You ready? Now, this one's deep. You ready? Abide. Abide. A-B-I-D-E. All right, now the third one is going to shock you, all right? Can anybody guess what the third one is? Abide. 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 Abide in his word. Abide in Christ. And you will bear much fruit. Run to Jesus. Set your affections on him. Give him your heart. And for some of us, that means that we need to get back to personal Bible reading and prayer. We have rejected the spiritual disciplines. We are running on empty. We are believing Satan's lies. just like Adam and Eve. Satan is twisting and selling us these lies, and we are getting confused, and we are starting to doubt whether or not God is who he says he is because we have gotten away from God's word. For others of us, we, we're good with reading the Bible, but we do it alone, and we don't value Christian community. And as you abide in Christ, you need to abide with his people. So I want to encourage you to deepen Your relationships with Christians by going to community groups, by hanging out with Christian friends, by allowing them to speak truth into your life. But I also want to encourage you and remind you of the importance of Sunday gathered, the importance of coming to church. See, some time ago, it was reported that most Christians, they, they would try to be at church 48 out of 52 Sundays. But here in America, we see a trend where that's no longer the case. Christians think that faithfully being a part of a church is is making to about 25 out of 52 Sundays or 20 out of 52 Sundays. We spend more time watching our favorite show on Netflix than we do gathering with God's people. And we find any kind of reason why to miss. The forecast says that it might rain. I don't do rain. As you go out for dinner out to eat. I'm going to do bedside Baptist this morning because I don't do rain. But I want to encourage you to commit. When you gather together on Sunday, you are hearing God's word prophetically spoken into your life and your heart. You're hearing God's word through the liturgy that we rehearse every Sunday together, that we speak to one another. You're hearing God's word through the gospel-centered music that we listen to. We're singing God's word. You're hearing God's word through the message that is preached, we're trying, y'all. We're trying our best. You prayerfully, you're hearing God's word. You're hearing God's word through the benediction when we take communion together. We are hearing the word of God. One of our pastors told me a great testimony of a man who made a commitment to bring his family to church more regularly. He said we were hit or miss. We weren't committed to a certain amount of numbers of Sundays, so we'll end up here half the time. So last year he committed. He said, we're going to aim for 50 out of 52 Sundays. We're going to make sure we're in someone's church. 50 out of 52 Sundays. And he said it has changed the direction of his family. They are seeking first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. He said it was one of the best years they ever had as a family as they have made Jesus the center of their home and they are finding encouragement in the people of God and in the Word of God. Abide. Half hearted, spiritual devotion that leads to spiritual failure. And every Sunday we're reminded of God's devotion to us by taking communion. We're reminded of Jesus who is better than Amaziah, of Jesus who died a death of assassination, not because he wasn't faithful to God's people, but because he was faithful to God's people. Every Sunday we gather and we remember that unlike Amaziah, Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life and he died a gruesome death so that you and I can live the good life, abundant life in him. We break bread to remind us that his body was broken for us, and we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine or juice, whatever your conscience permits. And every Sunday, we do this, and it reminds us of the good news of Jesus, and it reminds us to, to taste him and to remember that he is good. It's also a time for us to reflect on our, all, our own lives and, and to look back from last week and to see what lives we may be believing, and to come afresh to God's table and to eat, to eat truth. If you're not a Christian, we're going to actually not to partake in this meal. This meal is only for those who are Christians. But rather, I plead with you to take Christ, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to find forgiveness of sin, and to find true joy. Joy is not found in your wish list, and your ambition, and getting what you think you deserve or what you want out of life. Joy is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and seeing that God became a man and he lived a perfect life so that you could be reconciled to God, forgiven of all your sins. And you come to this God, not with your, your works or your best foot forward, you come in weakness and in brokenness, realizing that only salvation is only found through Jesus and is only found in weakness, not in good works. Salvation is a free gift In just a second, we're going to take communion. Those who are in the front half of the room, you come to the front. Those of you who are in the back half of the room, you go to the back. We have gluten-free communion to my left, to your right. Let's pray.